here we go. Let's see if we can, uh, let's take a run at this, okay? Epiphany is almost out of gas. Uh, next week, just a little bit down. Yeah, there you go. Next week is uh, Transfiguration, as you know. The church here is very cleverly designed. You know, you get, you get Christmas with the big pop and then the explanation and Epiphany, and then Transfiguration is a fascinating Sunday because you get, uh, you get both sides of the story. You get the great joy of Epiphany, and yet, and this is particularly in the Gospel of Luke, which will come next week, Luke's Gospel talks about how Jesus has his exodus, and actually the Greek word is exodus. So if, even if you're, you know, don't read Greek, you read through that, and you see Jesus has his exodus, and then this brilliant thing in Luke 9:51 where he says, and he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And so uh, transfiguration is the hinge then between this great joy of Christmas and you know everything on the mountain and bright and life is good and strong and the, the church works pretty well. Uh, and, and then uh, Jesus you know, throws the big curve where he puts his face toward Jerusalem. He goes back down the mountain. He gets crucified. And you know, we're all trying to stand around and make sense out of that. It's a, really quite a remarkable thing that happens next week. So uh, the seasons will change next week. Um, just by the by, we will have Bible study. It's a, it's a feast day and we'll do all the normal feast day stuff. But uh, we will actually have Bible study. In part, we're doing that because I'm behind. In part, we're doing that because um, the video guys will be here. Bear with them. You know, every once in a while, we need to have people in and shoot a few pictures, and they'll be here, and they want to do a Bible study. So they may even rearrange you out of your seats, which is probably a bigger distraction than having them here. You know, who knows what they'll do to you. But be nice to them. They're from out of town. Uh, so it's, it's all going to be okay, all right? So... Um, here we go. Let's pray our way almost out of Epiphany and uh, toward Transfiguration and Lent. O God, who's called and gathered us as your people to serve to the ends of the earth, increase your government among us and give us your Holy Spirit, that your name is glorified and all who sit in darkness in the shadow of death may see your light, even Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Um, I want to clean up a little bit from uh, the number eight one that we uh, I canned out a few weeks ago, and then I've got a number nine one. But um, I've got number. Does anybody want a number eight one? The one that says number eight on the top. It says more in the divine love embodied. Anybody need that? Want that? Raise your hand. I got them. I promise you, it's good. Will you, David? Thank you. This is number eight. So some of you have this, and some of you don't. I just I want to observe uh, a couple of things, and I want to observe how transitions happen in a church. Um, you know, it's just it's fascinating to be alive at St. John right now. It's, it's interesting to be in the congregation and uh, just kind of watch what's happening. Uh, one of the really interesting things about the gospel for this morning is that it wasn't up for discussion. Now, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't put the gospel up for discussion. He just says, this is who I am and uh, this is what my kingdom looks like. So if you're in my kingdom, this is who you are, and this is what you look like. Luther, long ago, when he wrote in the Beatitudes, said, you know, Christ is the fulfillment of the Beatitudes. And then uh, last year, we went to a lecture to see Stanley Harwas, who's a professor of ethics at Duke. He was giving a lecture at, at uh, Wheaton College. Uh, and he, he came upon this, this fascinating discovery that made the crowd gasp. He said, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Beatitudes. You know, and then all the Lutherans, there were just four of us. You know, we looked at each other and yawned because we'd been grown up on this. But for everybody else, 
new information, you know. Uh, but I just, I just want to observe that, and I want to observe how churches change and grow. One of, the, one of the difficult things in a church, if you never want any troubles in the church, uh, never change, never grow. Just leave everything the way it is, and you'll have the troubles that you've got, but at least the church knows what the troubles are, and then you can sort of go with them. Uh, but, of course, that's not the gospel, and that's not Jesus. And so the very difficult thing is... Um, when people start to grow. It's difficult because you get a natural dissonance in a congregation because people grow at different speeds. Um, and there's even people who are struggling for the changes and then there's people who are struggling against the changes. And now, I just want to be really clear. I'm not talking about anything physical. I'm not talking about tangible things. I'm not talking about buildings or lights or anything. I'm talking about the argument about what we are given to Okay. So an example from the Beatitudes would be this morning, are we really given to the poor? Are we really given to the hungry? Are we really given to the patience to turn the other cheek? Are we really given to that? That's one way to talk about it. You know, another way, and this is the specific way we've been talking about it here, is are we really given to being one community? Are we really given to that? Because that is extraordinarily difficult. You know, where I ended last week was to say that if individual never finds their true being. You're never truly human if you're alone. An individual can only find true meaning, true humanity, and then because each of you are different, you can only find who you truly are if you're willing to do that within community. Why? Because from the beginning of the Bible to the end, it is a story of relationships. It is the Trinity hovering over tohu wabohu, over the chaos of nothingness, and creating out of that uh, human beings to be in relationship with God and relationship with each other. There's the great little bit in the offertory today written by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, where he talks about God's need expressed as God's love. And, you know, he's, he's clever enough to know the first thing that people say, God doesn't need anything. He says, God, if God is love, God needs someone to love, and love continually expresses itself, and it expresses itself not just for Father, Son, Father for Son and Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit back to Son and Father, and Son for Father and Holy Spirit, but rather, you get to be in on that. Now, if you argue with that, you know, and, and I just believe me, I mean, honest to God, the, the, great, the greatest you know, the greatest faux pas of American Protestantism is the individual. The greatest sadness of the American church is the elevation of the individual over the community. And politically, we're not constructed this way, and, you know, with how our nation was formed, we're not constructed this way, and American evangelicalism, Protestantism was given to this. But the reality is, you will never find who you're meant to be alone. You will only find yourself in community. And you see, that, that, that causes a problem because, especially in congregations like this, although, you know, in other congregations too, it's, it's similar, because each of you come this morning, and especially this group, in this room, you're interested, in this, in this room you're particularly bright, you know, you're, you've grown up in the rest of your lives. You see all the angles. 
You're pretty sure of yourselves, you know, as am I. And so what happens is it's particularly difficult for people like us to subsume our individuality to the common good. That's how scripture talks, especially in Philippians. You remember we did that last year. It's particularly difficult for us as individuals to subsume ourselves to the common good. And I I just tell you, if we constantly argue, I'm not saying we are, but I'm I'm just shooting up a flare here. If we argue about whether that's true or not, that individuals only find themselves fully in community, if we argue about that, or if we argue against a common good, or that there even is or isn't a common good, that's the argument we'll always have. Okay, I mean, whatever you're doing, that's what you're doing. You know? Whatever you're doing, that's what you're doing, and you're not doing something else. And so, so the difficulty, now as I sort of watch, you know, I watch where we're going, capital campaign, all the stuff we're talking about, we've got a, a substantial group of people, a really large group of people, who've figured this out. I mean, they, and, and the glory of working with them is that their individual skills have been subsumed to the common good. Now, be, be real careful here. I'm not saying this is the only way. I'm not saying they're always right. I'm not saying it couldn't, you know, go in a different direction. What I am saying and what I will stand by is that I'm convinced that people in the lead and people who are given to this are absolutely positively doing their best with every breath. And that's what's brilliant about what's happening. Now, the difficulty with that is is that... um, The difficulty with that is, is that the people grow at different speeds, at different paces. And sometimes, you know, one part of the body gets stronger than another part, and that can cause some pain and things get out of balance. And so the point of all of this, of coming to the supper today and being built as community, of having a common confession in the creed, of you all staying on for another hour, when frankly you could be somewhere else today, staying on for another hour to listen to what Jesus says about being one, you know, the glory of all that is that there's great possibility. And it will be painful at times, and it will, you know, be a struggle. But I just want to make sure that this is what we're doing, that we're not doing something else. What we need to be doing right now, and the phrase maybe that summed it best, which was not my phrase but came as a gift, was this notion of intentional community, that the community here is intentional. Intentional community means that we buy these presuppositions, that I can never be fully me by myself, that I can only be fully me inside the community, and I can only be really fully me, not inside of any community, but inside this kind of community, community because as a divine gift, as a divine miracle, you know, as, as a gift of grace, as a divine act, Jesus makes me who I am and makes you who you are, and then somehow bundles us up for a common purpose, his kingdom for a common good. So that when Jesus, who is so disruptive when he comes, for example, in the Beatitudes this morning and says, you know, it's about the poor. It's really about the hungry. It's about, it's about being kind in the way that you wish people would be kind to you, that we all just nod along. Because honestly, if we're all nodding along, the struggle is still gonna be extraordinarily difficult. 
I mean, beyond just not, I mean, so, so we, the struggle cannot be, the struggle cannot be at the point of whether or not we think Jesus is right or wrong. That can't be the struggle point. The struggle point has to be everybody pulling all they've got together for the kingdom of God and then pushing that out into, the, into a world that we know is going to push back. That has to be the struggle point. But when that's the struggle, then everything is a success because we've done our best. Okay? And you should be very clear I'm saying that without any reference to money or buildings or anything else, which is why this whole capital campaign thing is a spiritual exercise. It's not about the money. It's not about the buildings. It's about, here's a focus point and an opportunity. Now, how can this group be gathered to do their best wherever that takes us? Okay? And that's just a practical draw from the text that we've been reading. Okay? It's just, it's, this is just, you know, people always want application of the Bible. Here's application of the Bible. This is it. Okay, so I just give you, and I, I did the text last week, but I'm just going to take you to um, this one that said number eight. You know, it's, it's sort of at point seven. So here's what it means to be the body of Christ. Okay? That Christ has put himself into us sacramentally. You know, he bodies us, he bloods us, he gives us his word, he gives us his name. It's just the greatest thing. So here he is, body and bloodness, and we actually bear with us in our bodies this enduring begging. Come on, come along, be part of this. You know, the, the saddest thing, oh, I think almost the saddest thing that gets said to me, I, you know, there's several sad things that get said in the courses, but maybe the saddest thing that gets said is if we get any bigger, there won't be a place for me. And, I, you know, I just don't know how to get you to the point to see. That's the only thing that Jesus talked about. You're not getting bigger per se, but delivering the gospel to other people. So, you know, you need to proceed with the absolute confidence that when one more disciple is made, it doesn't diminish you as a disciple. You know, it's, it's a rejoicing for you. It's, it's, it's so difficult. I understand when people say that. I understand that they're saying that out of some pain that, that they feel will now be neglected or unconsoled. It's not so. But it can only be not so if all of you get busy. You cannot hire enough pastors to make a church. It's got to be about you. Okay? Living as the church. So we actually bear in our bodies this enduring, begging, empowering, mercying, outreaching present. This is just a given. This is not up for negotiation. And to be touched, and then as we say, called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified, by that presence is to be changed. You can't have your own idea about this. Let every thought be captive. Let every thought be brought captive to the mind of Christ. You are not free in the church to have your own mind about this. It is about the mind of Christ. And furthermore, it's not for nothing that God made you a Christian. I mean, we've watched an epiphany how disciples got made, and when they got made, they were put to use immediately. You know, they drop the nets, they leave the boats, and they go to school. But all along the way, there's a practicum. He sends them out two by two. You give them something to eat. Forgive sins. I mean, all along the way for three years, it's a practicum. You know, at whatever level, you know, your skill and faith is, boom, you're busy. Okay, so you can't wait on this. It's not like, gee, we'll get it right someday. I mean, you've got so many heartbeats, you know. Use them well today. This is all there is. This is non-negotiable, too. 
So each of us, and then this is the text we read last week, come with whatever the Lord has blessed us with, our interests, our talents, our vocations. And by definition, we're never alone. We belong to this greater whole, to this body of Christ. And then it says cross-check Romans 6 there, which you know is the great text about you're baptized into Christ. It's technical language, the motion of being into. You're baptized into Christ. You're picked up and moved to another place. And now you're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you live in his death, in his resurrection, in his glory, in his new life. That's just the fact of the matter. That's why the font goes at the door. Okay? And that body is one. Okay, so it's always the body and then it's you. It's always, what can I do to serve Christ and those around me? That's why the catechism is so strong. This is what your whole life is love God and serve your neighbor. Boom. Okay? So all the individuals put to, pulled together in one divine direction. Okay? There's no individualism in the church. Now, I just want to be very careful that you distinguish. You shouldn't hear this as the bum's rush. You should hear this as the very, very careful distinction between principle and strategy. These are things which are ungiveupable. That it is a divine act that brought you into the church. That it is a divine mercy that you are here. That you have divine gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And that all those things plop you in the middle of this community. And that's where you're meant to learn and to live and do some good. That is non-negotiable. Okay, it is non-negotiable that the church grows. It is just non-negotiable. Don't ever say it again. It's heresy for you not to want the church to grow. All Jesus ever says is make disciples. Go out into the world. Go two by two. Give them something to eat. Heal them up. Forgive them. I mean, if you think it's, if you think that's the gospel, you're way too comfortable. You need to change your seat next week and sit somewhere else. Somebody sit, start, start with letting somebody else sit in your favorite place and then next week we'll let them park in your favorite spot and then we'll go from there, okay? So, I mean, so, so the, the principle is the church grows, the church makes disciples, the church delivers the goods. Those are saying the same thing in all different ways. The church delivers Christ. The church has the mind of Christ. All ideas and plans are subject to the image of Christ, okay? So, and I just was observing, um, you know, two things. This is why, just in case you've ever wondered, this is why even though you can have disagreements about a call and you, the vote can be one way and another when you, when you call a worker, this is why our Constitution and actually church practice is normally that you then make the call unanimous. Because even if you thought somebody was a bum who's coming to be your pastor and you voted against them and you spoke against them, at the end of that vote you raise your hand and say, I submit my will to the will of this congregation. Now, it may turn out that later that you're right. <laughs> the pastor was a bum. And you'll need to love him out of being a bum. Um, and you can take some secret joy in your prayers and then repent immediately that you were right <laughs> and that nobody listened to you. But that, in fact, is a different issue. That is not this issue, you see. Or, or just the craziest thing, you know. What the capital campaign is, you know, one of the interesting things or oddest things or saddest things or pitiable things that people say sometimes is, I'm not on board. If you're in this congregation, you don't really have a choice whether you're going to be on board. The congregation has spoken. You know, you may have reasons, and 
at the end of the day, you may be right, but that choice is now over, okay? You can't say I'm on board or I'm not on board for practical reasons, because one, you're going to keep coming. Most people are going to keep coming, park and sit and using new things, using new staff, using all kinds of new stuff. But two, for the theological reason that we're one. I'm not on board is not an option. It's just not an option. Okay? Because your individual will, idea, talents. You know, one of the best things, every once in a while somebody pops into my office and I think, you know, I actually say it out loud from time to time and then I have to wash my mouth out with soap. But, you know, what I say is, you know, after their long spiel about, you know, what's wrong with the church, you know, what I write for my prescription pad is go work in a soup kitchen for six months and then come back and we'll talk about it. Because the perspective is all screwy. It's all about them. It's not about you. It's not about you. Can I be clearer? It's not about you. This is about you in service, drawn into service as a disciple to Christ and your neighbor. That's what it's about as part of a community. It's the only way a community can exist is a community. It's not a group of 2,000 individuals. It is actually a community. It's actually one. It's actually body. It's actually Christ. And it's very simple what, what needs to be done. Once you buy that, you figure out what is non-negotiable, delivering word and sacrament, and giving acts of mercy, and caring for people's souls. And then whatever you know, way, means, delivery system you might figure out, let her go, okay? But I just want to, you may hear that. Now, you know, you may hear that in some range that runs from, you know, um, strong-arming to fascism. But I just, I beg you to reconsider that. Tr try to hear it in the way of the gospel. Yeah, Karen, there's a way that you put your hand up, Karen, that always has at once both urgency and kindness. <laughs> So, so, so I, 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 give the, I, to the, I give the floor to the senator from Glen Ellen. Yes, please. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the bank Why would that? Now, so you, you disqualify me immediately with the blind reference, so I need to put this into Braille for you, but, you know, you and I are pals. I'll email it to you. Yeah, uh, I, I really, what I've written out here is what you'd say. You just sort of read it from the top down and keep going. I mean, Christ has made us a community, and as a community, we find our place as individuals, and we go forward from there. I mean, you, you can analyze it so easily about whether it's self-interest or community interest. It's, just, it's so easy to analyze. And, and, and there is, um, you know, such the, you know, I never knew. I mean, among the things I never knew, uh, you know, being a pastor, is I never knew that the church would be such a negotiation. It's, it's fascinating. But, I, you know, I've learned a range of reasons why it's a negotiation, from my sins to the sins of others to my lack of understanding to other people's lack of understandings, to my selfishness, to other people's selfishness. But all of that confessed and forgiven, the question is, how do we go forward? And I think where I would like you to probe, if you have to probe people, I would like you to probe people about whether or not they really think that what Jesus Christ is after is acts of mercy, words of witness, and care of the soul. Because at the end of the day, my suspicion is that they don't think that it's about that. They think it's about a comfortable space for them to come on Sunday and live some sort of family tradition, as opposed to 
understanding that Jesus has invaded a dying world and he brings mercy for body and soul. And once people are hooked on that, we care for them continually until they drop dead and join the saints in heaven. So the way to engage that is to ask whether or not people are truly focused on Christ and their neighbor. And the acid test for that is, are we focused on words of witness, acts of mercy, and care of the soul? Are we really focused on making disciples and making them stronger? Is that really our focus, or do we have some other focus? Okay? It's as simple as that. That's the church. There is no other church but that. The church is not a gathering that you all gather together. The church is a divine gathering which God gathers together for his purposes, his church, his community. Okay? And the place where we stumble is in the application. The place where we stumble is we sort of mouth that and we come to the altar and we hear it and we sing it and we say it. But to translate it into how we treat each other. I mean, not just, you know... How do, we, how do we treat each other, even in the church? I mean, what is, how big really is the risk in the church of turning the other cheek? How big in the church really is the risk of giving people twice what they ask for? It's really particularly small. You know, on the street, it's a much different deal. But we struggle even with that. And the point is, the first step to not struggling with that is to agree with it. The first step, honestly, is just to say, Jesus is right. This is what it is, and we're not going to talk about it anymore in the sense of negotiating about it. This is what the church is. There is no negotiation. This is what it is. Read the text. This is who Jesus is. The church doesn't have the, 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 church doesn't have the option to grow or not. The, the, the principle is grow. The, the question is, how best can you grow in your particular circumstance? Man, that just opens the floodgates for all the talents that you all have got. But I see, sense, and especially, you know, I, I know it's busy. I know it's going to be Easter. You know, I know we got new people coming on. I know we got a capital campaign going. I know we got a lot of things going. But those are the times, it's one of the good things is that people speak most honestly. And then you have to speak most honestly in return. You can't say, you cannot say, I'm, I'm not on board. You just can't say that. And this community is going in that direction. Doesn't mean the community, you have to hear really carefully. It doesn't mean the community isn't perfect. Doesn't mean the community is always right. But it does remain the community, and it is your community. So that's a very windy answer to a very short question. Um, so I'm, I'm just sort of flipping through, down through here. You know, um, each of us are individuals with our individual talents, but parts by definition, belong to a greater whole, the body of Christ. And that body is one, one community, one congregation, one ecclesia. Remember, we did this when we did it at Leviticus. One called out community, one church, and all the individuals pulled together in one divine direction. There is no individualism in the church. And if any do not, the text was very clear on this. If it's not, you're still the body, but you're impoverished. Life is less than it could be. The community is less than it could do. Yeah, you're still the body of Christ. But, you know, mediocrity sets in. And, and you know, the inertia drops and, and dissension comes. You know, 
what you're searching for, what you're always searching for as a pastor, what you should be searching for as a community, you should always be asking the question, how your gifts can be brought into the service of this congregation. You know, it, it's, it's difficult because, you know, because I know, I know how talented you are, and I know that any one of you turned loose with, with the proper resources might get more done. That's not the point. You get more done is not the point. The point is to build the community and bring it along and get the most out of everybody. Okay? So the body's impoverished and diminished if any parts are neglected. So we grieve together, we die together, you know, we're fractured together if we neglect community. On the other hand, we rejoice together and live together and grow together if we'll only have his gifts. This is the way that God has created us. This is the way that God has arranged us. You know, even if it doesn't seem to be the case. And so the trick is to get the most out of everybody. I'm flipping the page. Last page. To bring everybody's individual gifts into the service of the gospel where the gospel subsumes the individual. That's what we're working for. And that, I will tell you, is the single best thing that has happened to me at St. John. Working with people who are extraordinary talent. It is, it is a miracle to watch somebody you know, who is way smarter and way more talented than everybody else in the room. It is a miracle to watch them bring their gifts into service to people who are not as smart as not as talented as they are, and then to push from behind, push everybody up to a higher level. That is a miracle. I've seen that happen over and over in this congregation. It is a miracle when that happens. You know, what we need is that, and to realize that individuals don't make community. Instead, the community makes the individual, right? Now, knowing all that, I'm just going to quickly read this text, then we need to baptize a kid, because... That kid's a little pagan and needs some Jesus, but don't tell the parents. They're not sure yet. The grandmothers, the parents usually get it. It's grandparents who can't. Just as, one body is, just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though one, though, though many are one. Man, I can't even read. Hold on. All right, hold on. Here we go. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For by one spirit, that's divine work, we are all baptized into one body. If you're baptized, you're in. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, you know, wise or foolish, young or old, fill in the blanks. And all were made to drink of one spirit. The body does not commit, consist of one member, not me, not you, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. You can't just choose not to be part of it. You're part of it. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. I wish I had somebody else's talents. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was better. I wish I could speak better. I wish I could... Pick something. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. You're baptized. You're part of the body. Bring what you've got. Nobody's asking you to bring more than you've got. Just bring what you've got. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged the organs of the body. God baptized you, God arranged it. And just, you know, just one other comment for you, Karen. Um, you know, you're right, I am preaching to the choir, but the choir needs to get tough because it's gonna be difficult to be the choir in days ahead if you actually really believe this. No matter, I'm not talking about stuff, I'm not talking about money, I'm not talking about the Bible church, I'm talking about if you push against the world, it pushes back. If you actually buy this, there's gonna be trouble ahead. Read the gospel, stay for Lent, you'll see it. If it were a single organ, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I can't say to the hand, you can't say to another person, I don't need you or the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body which seem to be weaker, every one of you, weak or strong, are indispensable. Isn't that great? You belong and you're loved, and you're never alone. And those parts of the body which we think less honorable, we invest with the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So people get treated individually, but always as part of the whole, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. Don't be jealous of other people's gifts. Rejoice in other people's gifts. I mean, bring what you've got and rejoice in everybody else's because then their gifts belong to you as well. Giving the greater honor to the inferior part that there may be, and now here's the, here's the key, that there may be no discord in the body. Why? Because every member is subsumed to the whole. You know, every individual knows its part is the body. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. But here's the punchline. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's where we're going. Okay, that's it. All right, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. Uh, see you next week.